Welcome to the RYR Endurance Team Podcast. We are grateful that you've chosen to tune in and listen. If you are a runner, aspiring runner, triathlete, or aspiring triathlete, you are in the right place. We love sharing what we know about these sports. If you like what you hear, you can always learn more by contacting us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or by visiting our website, ryrenduranceteam.com. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Well, what's up, Mr. Roberts? Not a whole lot. What about you? It's been a good day. For those of you who are listening for the first time, we are coaches, co-coaches, I would say, of the RYR Endurance Team, Dean and Paula Roberts. Not to be confused with Paula Dean, the cooking show. Oh my goodness. We hear that a lot. Yes, we do. (laughs) So talking about my day, if you want to know about my day, I was thinking about the Dr. Seuss book, Hop on Pop, where it says, what a day dad had. What a day Bethany's dad had, and what a day your dad had. So our daughter Bethany bought a house not too long ago, and I had the bright idea that I wanted to install a deadbolt on one of her doors that did not have a deadbolt, and she was agreeable to that. And she's out of town, so I thought this would be a good time. (laughs) Thinking it was going to take maybe two hours, and what a day dad had, I invited my dad to help. So you left the house at 9.15 this morning. I did. And I didn't see you until almost 5 o'clock this evening. It took a little longer than two hours. (laughs) But when I was at my dad's house maybe two weeks ago, he mentioned how he had installed deadbolt locks on some of his doors in the past. I thought, great. He's got all the tools. He knows how to do it. (laughs) This will be a piece of cake. Because I'm not the handiest of persons around the house. You've gotten a lot better over the years. But I don't mind trying. YouTube is great for handyman stuff. YouTube and buying the right tools. Needless to say, it was quite the adventure getting one deadbolt installed. I feel like you've gone and bought at least one tool for every project you've done recently. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Do, Do we ever run out of the need to buy tools? Do you ever have a full toolbox? Never have a full toolbox. I mean, that's what we want to do with our athletes. Give them a full toolbox. A tool for every circumstance. Absolutely. Yeah. So what a day dad had. (laughs) But I'm glad to have that project taken care of. When Bethany gets home from her adventure, she will notice that she has a brand new deadbolt on her door. You know what I got to do while you were doing all that? What did you do? I got to play with sweet Ellie Ann. You're so lucky. (laughs) Oh, and Jacob was here too. That was fun. Ah, yes. This was an exciting weekend for the RYR Endurance team. Yes, it was. We had an athlete complete his first marathon. Yes. Congratulations to Brent on completing the Derby Marathon. Woot woot. Way to go, Brent. I'm sorry how sore you're going to be tomorrow, but it'll be worth it. Really looking forward to hearing his story. Me too. Because first marathon, I believe it was raining most of the day. And the Derby Festival Marathon was totally different than in the past because it it was almost like a virtual race on location at a specific time. I have to give a shout out to his wife, Stephanie, as well, because evidently she stepped up and 
became his aid station since they weren't doing a lot of support on the course this year. Yeah, so I had reached out to the race director gathering information about the race for Brent, and the race director said that there would be water provided on the course, which the course was set up for, I believe, four days because the mini-marathon athletes were running throughout the week and on the weekend. So the aid stations were not staffed. So they had large water bottles and they had foot pedals to allow you to dispense the water. So athletes had to bring their own bottle, carry it with them in order to get water. For that type of race, it's really almost critical that you either carry all your nutrition or have somebody like Stephanie, like Stephanie, who (laughs) is providing support along the way. So congratulations again, Brent. We're super excited and proud of you. Great job. Well, let's get into our podcast topic for today. All right. Well, I have an idea. All right. Okay. So last week we had an athlete title one of her workouts in Strava, quote, unquote, finding failure. So Jessica, this podcast topic was inspired by you. When our athletes have short intervals with the purpose of building their VO2 max, we often prod them to not hold back on the first one in order to really have a fast last one. Go for it. Go for it. So as an example, let's say we prescribe somewhere in the run workout that the athlete do six one-minute hard pickups with a one-minute recovery between them. So... If we have this in a workout, we always have an easy warm-up first, and then we do a few short 10 to 15 second wake-up-the-leg stride just to build into the workout. So when the athlete reaches the first one-minute pickup, the body is ready to work. And some of our athletes, depending on their age and their experience, some of them need a longer workout than others. But we learned that, and we want to make sure their pump is primed and they're ready to work on the first interval. Yeah, different athletes need different amounts of Mm warm-up. But here's often the problem. Even though the body is ready, the mind is saying, Hey, I have six of these, so I'm going to save my harder efforts for intervals five and six. So after the workout, we may look at our athletes' data and we see that their first one, and this is all just hypothetical, might be a eight minute per mile pace. Their second through fourth might be a 745 minute per mile pace. And then the fifth, they're really bearing down and get a 730 minute per mile pace. And then that last one, they're able to do a 715 minute per mile pace. So the first four really didn't tax the system in the way we had intended for that workout to really go because we were after improving that VO2 max. And if we're going to do that, you've got to do those hard intervals out of the gate. Yeah, and you're really trying to test your limits to kind of reach that point where you just can't go any faster or any farther at that fast pace. Yeah. Can't go any harder. Can't go any harder. Yeah. So in this type of workout, we often have to really talk through this with our athletes and encourage them to give that RPE of eight or nine on the first one and on the second one and on the third one. And on the fourth one. Yeah. (laughs) 
we want them to not be afraid to quote unquote fail the workout. So if the athlete is capable of doing a 715 pace on that sixth one, that's really the hard effort we want to see on which one? The first one. Yes, the first one. If by the sixth, fifth, or maybe even the fourth, if that same hard effort results in a slower pace, so be it. When pace is slow toward the end, many athletes see that as failure. It is not. The heart rate will confirm that the effort was there. As the VO2 max improves over time, the athlete's heart rate will begin to recover more quickly in that one-minute recovery, and the athlete will begin to be able to sustain that faster pace for more of the intervals. But if the athlete is saving the effort for the last couple of intervals, it really kind of defeats the purpose of the workout. So I want to take a different direction at this point of this topic, because we're talking about specifically VO2 max workouts. If we're talking about a race situation, we want athletes to start out conservatively and speed up near the end. Totally different than when you're working on your VO2 max. Exactly. And when we're having our athletes do a longer tempo run, we don't want them at an 8 or 9 RPE either. So yes, we are specifically addressing those VO2 max workouts. But I'm glad you pointed that out. We we don't want everybody shredding themselves every workout. (laughs) Striking those matches early. Save those matches for race day. So this is a long explanation to say Jessica did just that this past week. She got out of the gate hard on the first interval. She remained fast through several and even on the back end, the last couple. Although her pace was slower, the effort was there. Her title of quote unquote finding failure was her tongue in cheek way of letting us know that she gets it. She knew she gave it a hard effort from the gate, and she made good use of all the intervals. As she continues to work from the first interval, I can't wait to see the great gain she's going to see in her fitness. When I first saw her comment about finding failure, I was thinking that she was disappointed in her effort. But when I looked at the data, I thought she did great on the workout. And then, and then I connected the dots that, you know, she was really saying that she understood the workout and executed it correctly. Yep. So in general, facing failures, or as Jessica put it, finding failures makes us stronger. I know when I was training for the Grand Rapids Marathon that I ran in September of 2020, many of those workouts were executed even though we were running at 5 o'clock in the morning, the heat index was already at or above 90 degrees. So none of my efforts were yielding the paces I thought were warranted and needed. But I just kept working in the failure and putting forth the effort. Those days you push through and work hard only to feel like a failure are the days you really draw upon around mile 22 or so when the marathon gets tough. When things get tough, I don't know about you, but I never think about the workouts that I easily nailed. I never think, oh, remember that Thursday that I was supposed to ride my bike at iron distance effort? And when I look back, I discovered my watts were 15 higher than I thought they'd be. (laughs) 
<laughs> like, that's not the day I think about. When things get tough for me in a race, I'm going to remember when I was in a headwind and fighting hard and all I wanted to do was jump on your wheel. But instead, I kept my distance, kept my head down, and did the work. So that reminds me of a story. Me and you and a friend of ours named Jared went on a bike ride a number of years ago, and it was a really windy day. And I remember the road we were on. It was so windy. Yes, very windy. And we may have been an hour into the ride. I don't really recall, but... Probably six. (laughs) Six minutes? Six hours. No, No, it wasn't six hours. (laughs) It just felt like it. But at one point, Jared said, I hate to be the the sissy in the group and let this girl, talking about you, outdo me, but I've had enough. I'm going home. And I was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, you were ready to go home too, and, and I was ready to go home too, but... Somebody had to... I was too stubborn to admit it. I wasn't going to be shown up by the boys. You're stubborn? <laughs> really? Hmm. I mean, there's probably a, a more endearing word. Determined? Determined. Yes, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a, that's one of our many Jared stories. But it was a good day. So you were talking about working out with a very high heat index and struggling on your workouts. It reminds me of a recent podcast we did with Jamie Atkins, who competed in the U.S. Olympic marathon trials. She was living at altitude in Colorado, and she said she was just never able to hit her target paces. But then when she went to sea level at the California International Marathon, she had nearly a 15-minute PR in the marathon. Can you believe that? 15 minutes? And qualified by one or two seconds. Hey, it doesn't matter how many seconds, you're a qualifier. But if she hadn't pushed herself when she was at altitude and pushed herself to the limit of failure, she may not have been able to push herself to qualify that day. I agree. In triathlon, it's so important to know what you're capable of. Sometimes you push yourself a little harder than you you think you can. And sometimes you try to stay just under the limit so that you have a strong run later on. But when determining your limits, you really have to push yourself. The best data is when you push hard and are consistent until the end and you couldn't go one more step or one more stroke or one more revolution farther. But that's nearly impossible to accomplish. If you start off easy and finish with nothing left, it could be that you really pushed yourself over the last 10% of the workout, which will make your limits seem like they're lower than what they really should be. But a better approach, like we're talking about, is to go out a little harder than you think you can sustain and then fight with all that is in you. And hang on to it. Yes, and hang on to it. If you can, maybe you could go a little harder next time. If you can't sustain until the end, then your average power or pace should be a a great baseline for estimating your limits. This helps maximize your training and your racing results. Also, finding your limits increases your tolerance for suffering, which may sound morbid, but it's necessary to excel in endurance sports. Yeah, and uh, Jessica's an athlete that we coach just in running right now. And so when I was referring back to her, I was talking about the run workout with one minute with an RPE of eight or nine and then a minute recovery. But the same holds true on the bike if we build in a workout where we want an athlete to really go after it for two minutes 
and then recover for a minute or two and do this six to eight times. We want them to give it their best effort from that first interval, even if it means that they die and that eighth interval is slower. Yeah, exactly. Not literally die. (laughs) We don't want our athletes to die. No. So we live in a society and navigate an online and somewhat fake social media society that seems to value success over anything else. Our culture rewards success and all of us strive for it in our careers, our marriages, our other endeavors, and even including our endurance sports hobby. With our hobby of running in triathlon, we can get caught up wanting our Strava data to look good. We define our success by finisher medals, personal best, and podium spots. And yes, we do strive to get better, but these successes don't come without failure. The success typically comes as a result of learning from many, many, many failed attempts. So while society labels failure with a negative connotation, it can definitely be a good thing. It provides the opportunity to learn, to show grit, and to persevere. I think of failure as proof that I'm trying and stretching my limits. We don't fail when we're doing something easy. We fail when we are hungry for more and are striving to get there. Yeah, and we talk about with our team and with our athletes setting big goals. And big goals are hard to accomplish. And if it's something you can accomplish in six months, maybe it wasn't as big a goal as you thought it was. Big goals often take years. And with big goals, there's a possibility that you're never going to reach them. But you set the limits high and you just never know what you'll be able to accomplish. Yep. I think you just have to be willing to put aside your ego. I think that's part of it. But also putting aside your fears. If you can do those two things, you can push those limits on those VO2 max interval workout sessions. And this willingness to fail during training will likely set you up for much greater odds to having success on race day. Yeah, and I thought about it. Some different ways of finding failure. I've mentioned before that when I do my swim workouts, sometimes I like to set a time-based alert on my watch so that it beeps every so many seconds, which I have chosen based on how quickly I want to get to the, the end of the lane of the pool, so 25 yards. And sometimes I have to shorten that time in order to challenge myself to go faster. Now, it is painful, but sometimes I'm successful and I set a new record. Sometimes I can't hold the pace and I struggle to finish. But in either case, I don't let it beat me up. I had a good effort and I'll give it another try again another day, either at that same pace or if it was a huge success, I may lower the time again. Scary thought. Yeah, there is some incentive, especially in swimming, to do your intervals really fast, especially if we set up a workout where we're having our athletes do 25 yards on, say, the 30 or 35 second mark. Then the quicker you get down there, the longer the rest you get. I was thinking the same thing. And I was thinking that that's the correct way to look at that workout is I want to maximize my recovery time by going really fast. But if you twist the workout and 
go somewhat easier and really don't care about the recovery time, then you're really losing the intention of the workout, which was to go fast, recover so you could go fast again, recover so you could go fast again, rather than more of a steady state, longer endurance effort. Yeah. And with our newer athletes, we usually don't tell them to do 25s on the 30 or 25s on the 35. We usually tell them to get after the 25 and then take so many seconds. Yeah. (laughs) I was also thinking about pro cycling. I enjoy watching pro cycling on television. And so as it relates to finding failure, you know, the less established riders or the the less established cycling teams, the only TV coverage they may get is if they go hard early and get in a breakaway from the peloton. And the likelihood of them winning the stage, maybe 5%. It's pretty exciting on TV when the break actually stays away. But sometimes it's just heartbreaking when the the people who've been in the breakaway for four out of the four and a half hours or four hours and 29 minutes out of the four and a half hours, they get caught in the final stretch. It's just heartbreaking. You just feel for the guys. But anyway, sometimes you don't know your limits unless you just go for it. I have a tangent. So you, hubby, and then my friend and running buddy Jennifer's um, fiance, John Mark, you two both really enjoy watching the Tour de France Yes. So sometimes while you guys are really into and enjoying the Tour de France, Jen and I are texting each other back and forth going, oh, and shocker, the Peloton just catches the breakaway. (laughs) (laughs) 95% chance that's going to (laughs) happen. Anyway, go ahead with your your real point. But you don't know if the Peloton is going to be able to catch the the break or not. So you just got to go for it. And you just might surprise yourself with the excitement, the energy, the adrenaline of being out in the lead. Maybe you can sustain a hard effort and hold them off. But you don't know. You you got to risk finding failure. When the to, odds are against you. To get the glory. That reminds me, my first year of teaching, this is a huge tangent, but I had a... That's a, what, a 29-year tangent? Okay, now, easy. (laughs) Maybe more. (laughs) Maybe 31. Anyway, has student Alex Danton. And I think maybe his dad worked with you at Texas Gas. I can't remember. But I always gave a little get-to-know-you survey to my students on the first day of school. One of the statements that they were to respond to, it says, when the odds are against you, dot, dot, dot. And I'm a math geek and and a math teacher, so I I love this kid's response for so many reasons. But it said, when the odds are against you, he finished it up with, I go to the evens. Yeah, that's good. I actually put that on a poster and hung it in my classroom every year. So thank you, Alex, for that quote. I'm not sure it relates to this podcast, but... (laughs) So what does that mean to you? What does it mean to me if the odds are against me, I go to the evens? Well, I think what it means to me is I try a new approach. Okay. That makes sense. What's it mean to you? (laughs) I think he was just kind of being funny. Like, okay, if number nine's hard, I go to number 10. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. So I was also thinking about hill repeats. When there's a wheel, there's a way. Oh, Mm -hmm. I got it. (laughs) So I was thinking about hill repeats. 
you know, it's a different type of VO2 max workout. Whether it's running or cycling, if you're doing hills, eventually you're going to reach your limit and slow down and back to pro cycling. It's just, it's heartbreaking to see somebody crack and fall off the back of the brake or the peloton going up a cat one climb. Anyway, I try to sustain my power or my pace on as many of the intervals as I can, but eventually I'm going to crack and slow down. Sometimes this is a good time to just call it a day when you've reached your limit, or maybe get to the top as best you can, turn around, and give it another try. But hills are a great way to build your strength, and it's really important to be comfortable on any type of course because you never know what you're going to face in a race. Some races have hills even though the race website doesn't really reveal that. So you just never know what you're going to encounter. Yeah, I like when our athletes do hill repeats during running because you can really tax your cardiovascular system without taxing the skeletal and muscular system quite as much. So hill repeats are awesome for building that VO2 max. Yeah, run hard up the hill and take it easy down the hill. Out of the gate. Mm -hmm. So in thinking about doing this podcast today, I decided to find some of my favorite quotes that have to do with failure because I think this carries over to more than just our endurance sports life. I think it carries over to all areas of our life. So I just thought maybe we would go through a few quotes. Yes. You like that idea? I do. So here's the first quote I'll mention. Only those who dare to fail greatly can ever achieve greatly. That was Robert F. Kennedy. And you can stop me after any of these if you have a comment about one of these quotes. I don't know that I have a comment yet about the quotes, but I'm thinking about our athlete, Brent, who finished the Derby Marathon today. First marathon, doing your first marathon, that's a big ask and lots of opportunity for failure, but you just don't know if you can do it till you go and do it. And now he knows. He did it. He can do it. What do you think about this one? The phoenix must burn to emerge. I'm thinking that has to do with mythology, and I don't know much about mythology. It makes me think of Hunger Games. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not sure that was a phoenix, was it? The the bird in Hunger Games? I don't know, but I just got that image when I was reading through that. But I was also thinking you just got to burn a little rubber on that bike sometimes to emerge. Yeah. (laughs) That was by... Janet Fitch, who I don't know who she is, but evidently I Googled that too. She's a sociologist and an author. Okay. Yep. She has some research on how husbands' careers impact wives. May I have to buy that book? <laughs> I think that there's definitely an impact on the wives. Yeah. Well, I think that's so obvious. Yeah. That's probably for a different podcast um, altogether. Somebody else's. Somebody else's <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Not ours. So, what do you think of this one? Winston Churchill, I don't think we have to explain who he was. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, that's probably why he was such a great leader. I suppose so. (laughs) Quotes like that. And then I've heard this one a thousand times. 10,000 times? Maybe 10,000 times. So, Thomas Edison said... I have not failed. I have just found 10,000 ways that won't work. 
<laughs> Henry Ford. You know who he is? Yes. The only real mistake is the one from which we learn nothing. Yeah. I'm reminded of the first triathlon I did, and we've talked about this <laughs> a number of times. Can I say my favorite quote from that triathlon? Okay. Are you talking about your Ironman or triathlon? Triathlon. Okay, never mind. <laughs> my first triathlon was a sprint triathlon. This is true. And... I just barely made it out of the water alive. <laughs> it was it was horrible. But I was determined to get out of the water. But I learned so much from that. And I was much better off the next time I did a open water swim. So this next one is from J.K. Rowling. You know who that is? That's uh, Harry Potter. The author. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's not actually Harry Potter, but... Yes, she wrote, failure is so important. We speak about success all the time. It is the ability to resist failure or use failure that often leads to greater success. I've met people who don't want to try for fear of failing. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. You just think about all the entrepreneurs in the United States, how they took a gamble on themselves and invested their heart and soul into building a business or inventing or, you know, just making a difference. And there was a risk that they would fail. And like Thomas Edison, sometimes they do. Sometimes they learn enough and don't fail the next time. It's interesting that you mentioned entrepreneurs because when I was researching this topic of failing to find success, one of the articles I read said that if you're in a random room of people, maybe one in a thousand have completed an Ironman, but that if you're in a room with a group of entrepreneurs, it goes way up, like maybe one in 300 or something. Well, yeah. That makes me think of a tangent that Ironman is really an expensive hobby. You have to have resources and it'll in order to be able to devote the time, get all the gear, and pay the entry fees and the travel. It's not cheap. It's not cheap. (laughs) So, are you familiar with the comedian and actor Chris Hardwick? I am not. Are you? I mean, I wasn't really, but I like one of his quotes. Well, tell me about it. No human ever became interesting by not failing. The more you fail and recover and improve, the better you are as a person. Ever meet someone who's always had everything work out for them with zero struggle? Then they're going to have the depth of a puddle. Or more likely, they just don't exist. (laughs) (laughs) He was a comedian. Yeah, that was funny. (laughs) Pianist and author Eloise Ristad said, When we give ourselves permission to fail... We, at the same time, give ourselves permission to excel. Yeah, you got to be willing to fail in order to reach that level that you would call excelling. Yeah, and uh, I like that quote, especially with my violin, adult violin learning endeavors. I have really just lately been trying to let go a little bit and be okay with playing it just a little off until I get it right. I really think you should play the violin on our podcast. (laughs) Yeah. So those of you in our Facebook group, if you would like to hear Paula play the violin on one of our podcasts, 
put a post out there. Let's see how many likes we get. And <laughs> we'll, sh- we'll convince not, her to I'm play. I'm not sure there would ever be enough likes to make that happen. And I can't imagine anybody purposefully wanting me to do that. You are a fine <laughs> violinist. Anywho, on to author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, Jack Canfield. He said, everything you want is on the other side of fear. Hmm. It's interesting. And then I don't really know who said these things, but these are things I've heard my whole life. So I just thought I would include my own Paula Roberts memory quotes, even though I have no idea who to credit. Okay. So failure is not the opposite of success. It's part of success. A failure is not a loss. It's a gain. You learn, you change, you grow. That makes me think about race planning that we really emphasize with our athletes. Early developing a race plan and testing it and executing it. But then also documenting what worked well, what you want to do differently next time. Maybe you didn't fail, (laughs) but maybe there are some things that you can learn and do better next time. So also, when I was researching this podcast, it was talking about going back and reflecting on a race, whether you were successful or if you failed. But if you failed, it kind of broke it into three different categories. I mean, I'm just a wealth of knowledge today. You are a wealth of knowledge. (laughs) What can I say? So the, the first is go back and look at the intellectual failures. In other words, you created your race plan, you stuck to the race plan, but you just physically weren't fit for that race plan. For example, maybe you developed a race plan where you're going to execute 220 watt average on the bike in, let's just say, a half iron distance, and you execute that to a T, but then your legs are shot from the run. So that was just an error in developing the plan. Okay. Then the second type of failure to analyze, and this <laughs> this is what we see often with our coach athletes, is based on their data and, and our input and their thought, they create a race plan, and then their execution just doesn't, <laughs> doesn't match that plan. We do see that occasionally, yes. where we feel like, We have a clear understanding with our athlete and it's documented in the plan what is going to occur. And then the race (laughs) happens and we think, what what just happened? (laughs) What just happened? It's kind of like when you were doing the uh, Grand Rapids Marathon, which you've already mentioned once in this podcast, and you decided mid-race, I'm just not going to take any more nutrition. I'm just not hungry. <laughs> I did not say I'm just not hungry. Now, don't you be putting your quotes onto me. Did you quit taking nutrition? It had nothing to do with not hungry. You don't eat during a race because you're hungry. You eat to fuel. But as we have discussed before, I had gone to solid food nutrition, and I just couldn't get it down under that workload. So this was more back to the first type of failure that your your plan just wasn't as good as it needed to be yes unlike in your iron man where you said the reason you didn't eat it because you just weren't hungry don't put that quote on me that was you <laughs> <laughs> okay so i knew i'd heard it somewhere so mine was an example of an like an intellectual error where the plan was not implementable yours was more execution 
of the plan because you just weren't hungry. Anywho, the third, t- the third type of failure, it would be more along the lines of an injury or a bike mechanical issue. It's, it's those things, um, terrible headwinds, bad currents. It's conditions that are out of our control that just skew what the plan and execution are going to look like that day. In my Ironman events, you know, I was working really hard trying to qualify for Kona. That was my big goal. took several years. Praise the Lord. I was able to finally achieve that goal. But in every one of those races leading up to and including Kona, I had this fear of a bike mechanical. And, <laughs> and I never had one. Although you thought you had one in Kona. I thought I had a flat tire at Kona, and I pulled over to the side of the road, and I was okay. I mean, I I wasn't freaking out. I I knew how to change a flat. I had the gear, and when I stopped, somehow or other, I just had a piece of tape. (laughs) Whoever finds a piece of tape on the road, and it, it got stuck to my front tire, and I pulled the piece of tape off and went on my way. There you go. But... I was always always had that fear in the back of my mind. And I, my prayer was, oh, Lord, don't let me have a bike mechanical. And I never did. That's good. So we always try to include scriptures in our podcast that relate to and go along with the topic. And I really couldn't just settle on just one. So do you care if I read a couple, a few? The more the better. If you want to comment on any of these, you just stop me. Okay. The first one is Psalm 73, 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Yeah, that's good. That just reminds me that our bodies are weak, but God is not weak. And then Philippians 4.13. This is a very common one. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In fact, I think that was on the back of the shirts that you guys wore when Kelly and I did Iron Man Louisville. I think it was. And then Joshua 1.9. I mean, this might be the best scripture in the entire Bible if you could really just pick one. I mean, probably you probably couldn't just pick one, but I love the scripture. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Now, how comforting is that? That's a really good promise. He's with us and he loves us wherever we go. I think John 3.16 is a pretty good scripture too. It's probably the best one in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because he's with us and loves us wherever we go. Wherever we go. So, hey, if you're still listening, we appreciate you so much. We hope you're still listening. Yeah, we do hope you're still listening. (laughs) We would love it if you would search for us on Facebook. We are RYR Endurance Team. If you send us a request to join our group, we'll let you in. You can vote no on me playing the violin on the podcast. And we'd love to hear your questions about all things endurance and triathlon. If you have topics you'd like for us to cover in a podcast, we'd love to hear that. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website, ryrenduranceteam.com
Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe to our podcast. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.